Well, good morning, good morning. We show your appreciation to Kelsey for sharing part of her story this morning. I gave her a hard time when I saw the video this week. I said, and the most important thing is food? And she said, well, it was your wife that sent me that word, so I feel called out a little bit this morning. Well, we're so glad you're here. If we haven't met yet, my name's Bobby, and I serve as one of the pastors. I feel a little pressure after Quran put so much uh, weight on today's message, but I'm so thrilled to get to come alongside and to talk about this idea of the importance of relationships. In fact, I know we've got a lot of people watching online today. Just a minute ago, I screenshotted it. I saw uh, just a ton of folks watching on Facebook and YouTube. I saw the Shizzlers, I saw the Jamesons, I saw the Haynes, I saw the Purdue's, I saw the Whitlow's. Would you just show them some love and say thanks for watching online and being part and extension of what's going on in here? And obviously next door, we've got a couple hundred folks in Espanol as well. And so it's just been a great day today. But one of the things that I often say when we talk about small groups and we're about to launch a season for our adult ministry, our students started last week in small groups and we try to give adults about a month or so to get recalibrated and the new schedule figured out before launching adult groups. But there's a lot of things that we could say about it. Uh, when it comes to groups, we dive into God's word. We're very intentional. We, we want to get God's word into our life. We also spend time praying together. We think talking to our Heavenly Father is so important and uh, is so essential. There's a lot of things about groups that are important, but one of the things that I really wanted to highlight today is it's not just, uh, it's not just a random thing that happens, but God uses the people in our lives in very tangible ways. And the reason why I say that is because we live in a culture where we're connected to lots and lots of people. I mean, thanks to social media, you could, you could have a, hundreds of quote unquote friends on Facebook, or you could follow hundreds or thousands of people on social media. It's possible to be connected online with so many people, but still feel lonely on the inside. Are you tracking with me? Especially in a season like COVID-19, it, it's just illustrated the fact that we have a uh, an epidemic of isolation. And what happens for a lot of people is they, they've backed further and further away. We've gotten used to being socially distanced and be, between being socially distanced, we've been relationally distanced as well. And so what's ended up happening if we're not careful is we're missing the opportunity of how God wants to use specific people in our lives to change the rest of our lives. And when I just said that, I just paused in my mind to say, to change the rest of our lives, because I really believe that. That in a culture that's used to getting a lot of stuff, in a culture that's used to accumulating a lot of things, in a culture that's used to like adding a bunch of physical objects to our life, what I realize is that there's something missing for a lot of us. And oftentimes the thing that is missing is not something, but it's someone. God wants to use someone in your life to change the rest of your life. And so whenever we talk about relationships, I've, I've heard so many sermons over the years and I've taken notes on a lot of them and I've written down some of the phrases that have stood out to me from other pastors. But, but when you think about friendships and you think about intentional relationships in your life, let me, let me just give you a couple of these statements and we'll dive in. Here's what one pastor says. He says, it is impossible to live the right kind of life if you have the wrong kind of friends. 
Let that sink in for a second. It is impossible to live the right kind of life when you have the wrong kind of friends. And then another pastor says it this way. They say, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. In other words, show me the people that you hang out with, the, the people that you uh, shoot the breeze with, the people that, that, that influence your thoughts and your thinking. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. In other words, the kind of people you're hanging out with are going to mold the kind of person you're going to become. Here's another statement. Andy Stanley, a pastor here in town, says, he says, your friends will always determine the quality and the direction of your life. Your friends will always determine the quality and the direction of your life. I'm always reminded of what Proverbs 13 verse 20 says, walk with the wise and become wise, but associate with fools and get in trouble. And so here's what I want to say today as we get ready to launch this new semester of groups. And I, and I really hope every single one of you will dive in. But the thing that may be missing in your life this season is not something, it could be someone. And what I want to do today is I want to show you from the life of David, three intentional relationships that changed his life forever. And so if you have a Bible or if you have the Bible app, go ahead and find 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16. And what's interesting is in David's life, we meet him in chapter 16 when he's young. In a little bit, we'll talk about when he's old. And all along the way, God used strategic, intentional relationships in his life. And I just want to encourage you, it could be that this fall through groups, God's going to bring these people in your life. There's three kinds of people I think every single one of us need in our life. If you're a note taker, I'd encourage you to jot these down. If you want to follow along in the app, they're in there as well. But the first kind of friend that every single one of us needs is number one, the kind of friend that makes us better. We need a friend that makes us better. In 1 Samuel 16, what's happened in the backstory is currently in 1 Samuel 16, there's a king named Saul. When Saul became the king, he started out pretty well, but somewhere along the way, he got off track and God rejected him. And so in that day and age, there's a prophet named Samuel. So that's why this book is called 1 Samuel, 1 and 2 Samuel. So Samuel is the prophet and God speaks to him in such a unique way. And what happens is Samuel is brokenhearted over the state of the nation of Israel. Samuel is brokenhearted that Saul, the current king, has gone astray. And here's what God says to Samuel in 1 Samuel 16, verse 1. It says, now the Lord said to Samuel, you have mourned long enough. In other words, you've been brokenhearted over the current situation long enough for Saul he says, I have rejected him as king of Israel. So Saul currently is still on the throne. He's still the guy in charge. He's still the man, so to speak. But God says to Samuel, Samuel, look, I, I know you're heartbroken over this. And I, and I, I know that, that you wish Saul had chosen differently. But here's what you need to know, Samuel. I've rejected him. And then here's what God goes on to tell him in the next couple of verses. I want you to get up. I want you to go to a town called Bethlehem. I want you to find a guy named Jesse because Jesse has a lot of sons. And I want you to go to his house. And I want you to go under the cover of, hey, I'm here to worship. I'm here to worship with you. And I'm going to show you who's going to be the next king. So imagine that assignment. Samuel is sent to find the next king of Israel. Again, Saul's still technically in charge and he's an evil king. He did all kinds of crazy things. So Samuel could have been like, what's going to happen if Saul finds out that, uh, that, that I'm going to find the next king? Maybe Saul's going to take me out. He's going to kill me, whatever. So finally, Samuel shows up. 
And he gathers Jesse and his kids together. And God says to Samuel, I'm going to show you which one of his kids is going to be the next king. Well, here's what happens in, in 1 Samuel 16. If you're looking and reading along, it says, when they arrived, verse 6, Samuel took one look at Eliab. Eliab I can't say his name today. I don't know if you have a name that you don't like. My middle name's Gordon. I'm not a big fan of that. But imagine if your name was Eliab. Finally, I got it right. Eliab. He looks at Eliab, the oldest, the tallest, the best looking, the strongest. I'm, I'm, I'm reading into that, but that's the background of it. He says, surely this is the Lord's anointed. So there's this moment. Jesse brings out his sons and Samuel looks at the first one. Eliab, wow, look how tall he is. Look how strong he is. Look how he's a good, great talker. He's a natural leader. Surely this is the king. And I think that happens in our life is we, we look at surface level kind of stuff sometimes. We, we have sort of the world standards for leadership or whatever, and we, we read that onto other people. Well, well if you're gonna, you've gotta look a certain way, you gotta talk, you gotta have certain degrees, da, 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 and, and we've got all of this stuff, and here's what's interesting. Verse seven, God whispers into the heart of Samuel. Samuel on the outside is thinking, well, surely this kid's gonna be the next king. I mean, he looks like a king, he talks like a king. Surely it's gonna be him. And it says in verse seven that God spoke to Samuel and said, do not judge by his appearance. Do not look at his height for I have, listen to this phrase, for I have rejected him. And I just imagine that there must have been this what moment in Samuel's life where he's like, are you kidding me? I mean, look, he checks all the boxes. He's got, got sort of all the things that you'd look for in a king. Surely he's going to be king. And God says, no, I have rejected him. And then listen to what he goes on to say. He says, people judge by the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so in this moment, Jesse has all the other sons. I don't, I don't know exactly uh, if he lined them up from tallest to shortest, from oldest to youngest. I don't know exactly how it was, but, but over and over again, Samuel would look at the next one. Well, maybe this one's going to be the king and God whispers in his heart, no, I've rejected him. Well, maybe this next son's going to be the king. No, I've rejected him. Maybe this next son's going to be the king. No, I've rejected him. Man looks on the outside, but God looks at the heart. And so finally, Samuel has talked and looked at every single kid and God's rejected them all. And can you imagine this awkward moment where, where he's thinking, I've looked at all the sons, none of them are the king. God, what's the deal? And so Samuel finally asked Jesse and he asked him, do you have any other sons? That must've been an embarrassing moment for Jesse. I'm not gonna ask you how many parents have ever forgot your kids somewhere. I'm not gonna put you on the spot, but can you imagine being one of the sons of Jesse and you're totally forgotten about. Uh, so Samuel asked, do you have any more sons? And, and so Jesse replies, well, there is still the youngest. <laughs> it's almost like he's overlooked. It's almost like he doesn't matter in this moment. And so here's what Jesse says in verse 11. There's still the youngest, Jesse replied, but He's out in the fields, he's watching the sheep, he's watching the goats. It's almost like he's saying, you know, he's not, I mean, he's the youngest, he's the scrawniest of them all. He's a little bit different. I mean, you know, some kids play Xbox. This kid has his little harp and he's singing to his sheep and goats. And, you know, surely he's not gonna be the king. And Samuel says, bring him to me. And listen to what happens in verse 12. Finally, David shows up. The youngest, perhaps the smallest, certainly the forgotten in the moment. 
And it says at the end of verse 12, God says to him, this is the one. Anoint him. God, through Samuel, saw something in David that nobody else saw. God used Samuel to call out something great from David's life. God used Samuel to see something that even his own dad didn't even see. He saw potential. He saw something inside of him. And God used this intentional relationship from somebody that was older than him, somebody that didn't look like him, somebody that didn't think like him. God used this person to help him get better. Do you have a friend like that? Do you have somebody in your life that sees beneath the surface? Do you see somebody in your do you have somebody in your life that sees beyond your title and beyond your profession and, and beyond your background and beyond mistakes? Do you have somebody that God has used in your life to help you get better? We need somebody like that. We need somebody like that. We need a Samuel in our life. I need a Samuel in my life. I was telling the earlier crowd that there's been so many examples of these people in my lives, but uh, in my life, but a few years ago, one of the pivotal ones was that I was in a small group with uh, several other guys, and it was a year-long commitment where we went really deep, really fast, really hard. It was high, high commitment, this particular group I was in, and it was a strategic time in my life where I just felt like I was wrestling with a bunch of stuff. I don't know if you've been in one of those seasons where you felt like you just kept hitting some invisible ceiling in your life where there's something more, and yet you're your own worst enemy, and so I was in the season where I was just wrestling with stuff. I was wrestling with personal stuff. I was wrestling with work stuff. I, you know, I, I, I would, you know, compare myself to everybody else. I'd see Pastor Chuck come out here and he'd be all big and bolst, you know, and, and ready to take on the, the next challenge. And I'm like, but I'm the introvert in the room. When I'm not preaching, I'm cool with just sort of sitting back and doing my thing. And I was like, man, there's no way I could be like that. Or even that today, I see Pastor Karan and how effortless he walks around the stage. And then I, then I see him a little bit swolled up. I'm like, holy cow, I can't be like him. And I was just in one of those seasons where I had a lot of doubts. And one of the people in my group was a guy named Brian. And there were so many nights when we'd wrap up small group that Brian would give me this big bear hug. And then he'd look me in the eye and he'd say, Bobby, I believe you're a quiet driver. I believe that God's gonna use you in a big way. And I can't tell you what that did for me. I can't, there's no way I could adequately describe what it was like to have somebody in my room, in my life, that helped me get better, not just at random stuff, not just, not just you know, hobby kind of stuff, but, but somebody that helped me get better in my marriage and somebody that helped me get better in my faith and somebody that helped me get better in, in my life's calling. Do you have somebody like that? Do you have somebody in your life that number one, helps you get better? You need somebody like that. But there's a second person that God used in David's life. So David in 1 Samuel 16 is pretty young. He's a teenager and God uses Samuel to call something out of him. But there's a second kind of person that steps in David's life. And so if you're a note taker, number one, we need somebody that helps us get better. But number two, we need a friend that helps us get stronger. A friend that makes us stronger. So when you fast forward the story a little bit, Saul is still on the throne. He's still the king and he's angry because David's popularity is growing. 
Saul would go into battle and David would go into battle. And when they'd get back from battle, the ladies would swoon over these guys as the guys of the day or whatever. And, and, and Saul got jealous because the ladies would sing songs and they would say, well, Saul kills thousands while David kills tens of thousands. And so Saul got jealous. I don't know how that song went. That doesn't rhyme very well in my head, but they would sing these songs about it. And Saul got jealous and he'd get angry. And so there would be days that David was around him and, and Saul put up with them. And then there would be seasons or days that Saul wanted to get rid of David and kill him. And so if you turn to the right in your Bible to 1 Samuel chapter chapter 23, what you find is there's a season where David is scared to death of Saul. David knows he's going to be king one day, but he's not there yet. And he knows that Saul's the evil king that wants to kill him. And so David is on the outskirts. David is on the run. And here's what it says in 1 Samuel 23, verse 15. It says, one day David received the news that Saul was on the way to search for him and kill him. Can you imagine that? You, you know that you've been anointed, that you're going to be the next king, but, but the evil king that's still on the throne is trying to track you down and trying to wipe you out. And so David is, gets that word, and then listen to what it says in verse 16. It says, Jonathan. Well, who's Jonathan? Jonathan is Saul's son, the evil king's son. Jonathan, technically, if you went by family lineage, should have been the next king. And so Jonathan could have seen David as his competition. Jonathan could have seen David as somebody to also try to get rid of. But listen to what it says in verse 15. It says, David got word that Saul was on his way to search for him and kill him. Then listen to verse 16. And Jonathan went to find David and listen to this last phrase and encouraged him to stay strong in his faith in God. He was somebody that made David stronger. There's going to be moments in all of our life where life happens. There's gonna be those days where things just don't go well at work and you're, you, you just feel like, man, this is, this is not coming together. There's gonna to be times that you get medical diagnosis that you're like, man, I wish I had prayed for something different. There's gonna be times where you feel on the outside, people would probably say you've got it together, but on the inside, you feel a million miles away from God. And there's gonna be those moments that we need a Jonathan in our life, somebody that doesn't preach at us, somebody that doesn't go off on us, somebody that doesn't give us three steps to a better life, but somebody that will come alongside and put their arm around us and make us stronger. Do you have somebody like that? Do you have somebody that in the middle of the night you could text and you know that they got your back? Do you have somebody that, 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 that you could be gut level honest with and they help you find strength? Again, I could give you a lot of examples from my own small group experience, but one of the examples came back in May from Pastor Chuck. Uh, I'm, I'm one of these people, I don't know if you're this way, but I'm terrible at pre-planning vacation time. I don't know if you're that way or not. And what typically happens is we're about six months into the year and we're like, hey, we should probably get away. And by that time, the calendar's too crazy to actually get away. I don't know if you've been there, but right before COVID hit, we already needed a vacation. My wife and I already needed time away. We think it's important at least one time a year, if not more, for us to get away and invest in our relationship with each other and just unplug from everything and disconnect. We think that's really important. And so before COVID happened, we were already 
running on empty. I don't know if you've been there, but we already felt like we were running on empty. We finally had some time on the schedule and then boom, this little thing called COVID-19 happened. And in my mind, it was right before Easter of that year. And in my mind, oh, we'll just be online for two weeks and then we'll be back in person and everything will be great. And this thing will be behind us. Oh, I was so optimistic, wasn't I? And so, uh, as you can imagine, in your world, I'm sure things got more intense. In our world, things got more intense. The church didn't slow down. In fact, we upped what we were doing. And so, you know, part of my job is to lead our team uh, of 30 or so people that are part of our staff. And so I was already needing a vacation before COVID. COVID ended all vacations. And so I, w- I had a very unique role during that season with our team. And so I kept running, 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 running hard. And then so finally, we feel like we've got you know, a year of COVID under our belt. It's time for us to finally take some time away. Our 10 year wedding anniversary is back in January. So we were thinking in May, we're gonna have a belated uh, anniversary trip and we're gonna get away, we're gonna unplug and we really needed it, really needed it. And then one day before we're supposed to leave, we get a phone call that in the moment felt like we're about to pull the plug on the thing. I don't know if I can describe it well enough to you because I'm, I'm typically not an emotional person. I've got the emotions of this table right here. But on my last day in the office, we we're supposed to get up the next morning at like 3.30 in the morning to head to the airport. I'd wrapped up a staff meeting. I had one or two little one-on-ones after that. And we get a phone call about something going on in our extended family that felt like was pulling the plug on our time away. After a year of COVID, going into COVID already needing a break. And I sat down in the, the little lobby over by the elevator and I just got emotional thinking about it. It's like, are you kidding me? We're about to lose a ton of money on this thing. We're about, it's our 10 year anniversary. This is a big deal. And, after about an hour or so, my wife, Laura, and I had been back and forth. What do we do? What do we do? What do we do? I went down to the office and Pastor Chuck was in his office. So I knocked on the door, came in and basically said, I need you to take your boss hat off for a minute. And I need you just to be my pastor. And so he came around the desk and sat down and I just sort of unloaded all the stuff and all the frustration and all the uncertainty. Man, I wish I had time to tell you all, all of those things, but I'll tell you this, God used my friend Chuck to help me get stronger when I honestly felt so weak. Have you been there before? We need friends like that. We need friends that help us get better. They see something in us. They call something out. They, they help us to get better at the things that matter most. They, we need friends that come alongside us and they help us get stronger when we're tempted to say, if this is the way it is, I'm out. And if this is the way it works, I quit. But a, there's a third kind of friend, a third relationship that I think God uses small groups in our lives to do, not only to make us better, not only to help us get stronger, but this third kind of relationship that every one of us needs is the kind of friend that loves us enough that they're willing to tell us the truth. If you fast forward in your Bible to the right, to 2 Samuel chapter 12, what you find is there's this encounter between David and a guy named Nathan. If you don't know the backstory of this, and you probably know the backstory, but David, 
at this point has been king for a while. On the outside, he had all kinds of success, but on the inside, he started compromising. And so what happens in 2 Samuel chapter 11 is the Bible says there's a season where kings are supposed to go to battle. It's just what they do. They go into battle and they lead their armies in battle. But David decides, well, I'm the guy, I'm the man. I don't want to go in battle. I'm just going to stay at my palace. They can go into battle. They can fight. I'm going to stay home and watch Netflix. I, I don't know if that's what he said, but you get what I'm saying. He was, he was getting comfortable. And while he's not where he's supposed to be, he starts getting a Roman eye, roaming eye, and he sees this woman named Bathsheba. And apparently she's gorgeous because he did what some of our single adults did when they walked in the room. He said, who is she? I thought that'd be funny. It wasn't. We love singles here at Sugar Hill Church. They're on the lookout. But David saw her and he said, who is she? And I think David's men were trying to warn him they said, well, isn't that Bathsheba? And then they added on this last phrase, isn't that, well, isn't that Uriah's wife? Hint, hint, <laughs> she's spoken for. But David doesn't listen to the warning. And I, I don't think he got up that day saying, you know what, I'm gonna make a huge mistake. I don't, I don't think he did that. But what ended up happening is David invited her to the palace. He whined and dined her. One thing leads to another and he ends up sleeping with her. And David tries to cover it up. He's like, nobody's gonna know about this. Her husband's off at battle where David should have been. Nobody's gonna find out about it. I mean, it's, you know, maybe in his mind, he's like, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, look at everybody else. Look what the, and, and, and here's what ends up happening though. She ends up being pregnant. And so again, David's thinking, well, I, I, I don't wanna fess up to this. David's trying to cover it up, cover it up, cover it up. And so he comes up with what he thinks is a great idea. He invites her husband home from battle and he wines and dines her husband. And he assumes, hey, her husband's been at battle. He's been sleeping in tents with a bunch of nasty, smelly men. If I bring him home and wine him and dine him and then send him home to his wife, surely he'll be with his wife. And then later when he finds out she's pregnant, he'll just think it's when he was home from battle. He's thinking, I'm gonna, I'm gonna cover it up. The problem is, is when her husband comes home and he wines and dines her husband and goes to send her home, he finds out the next day that her husband Uriah wouldn't go home. He slept on the doorstep of the palace. He said, who am I to go home and enjoy being with my wife while my, my fellow brothers are in battle? He had more character and integrity than the king. And so again, David's like, how do I cover this up? How do I cover this up? So he tries it a second time. All right, I'm gonna have him over for dinner again. I'm gonna wine him and dine him and then I'm gonna send him home. Surely he's gonna be with his wife. And then later when they find out that she's pregnant, they'll assume it's his son. But again, the second time he refuses to do it. This is David, the same David that Samuel saw something in. This is years and years later, David trying to cover his sin. And so eventually what David does is he writes a letter to the commander of the army. And he says, Joab, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take this guy, Uriah. I want you to put him on the front line of battle. I want you to put him in the fiercest part of battle. And when the battle is raging the most, I want you to pull everybody else back so that Uriah dies. And he rolls up the letter, he seals it with his signet ring and guess who he gives it to? He gives it to Uriah himself and says, deliver this to the commander. Uriah has no idea what's in the letter. He's like, whatever my king wants, I'll do. 
And so he takes it back to battle. He gives it to the commander of the army. The commander pops the seal. The commander reads it. Put Uriah on the front line of battle. Put him in the fierce part of the battle. Pull everybody else back so that he dies. I'm sure in the, in the commander's mind, he's thinking, I don't understand this. I don't know what's going on, but he's the king. I'm going to trust him. And so he does it. He puts Uriah on the front part of the battle. He pulls everybody else back. And sure enough, Uriah dies in battle. And David thinks he successfully covered his sin. He thinks when people find out that Bathsheba's pregnant, they won't know about Uriah not sleeping with her because he died. He can't tell his side of the story. David thinks he got away with it. And for about a year, it looked like it. For about a year, he's still on the throne. For about a year, he's still the public guy. But on the inside, he's rotting away. So in 2 Samuel 12, Nathan shows up and Nathan says, David, I've got a story to tell you. David, here's the story. There's these neighbors that live next door to each other. One neighbor had so much stuff. I mean, he, he, he had plenty. He had more than he could imagine. He, he, he had so much stuff, he didn't know what to do with it. But his neighbor, on the other hand, was very, very poor. He didn't have anything. In fact, the only thing he had was one little lamb. And that lamb wasn't like an animal to him. That lamb was basically a family member to him. And one day the, the rich man had family coming in town, so he threw a big party. But instead of taking from his plenty, what he did is he went next door to his neighbor and took his one little lamb to feed his guests. He, he had plenty, but he took all that this guy had. And when David heard that, he got angry. His face turned red. It's like, who does this guy think he is? And David jumps up from his throne and says, that man must surely die. And Nathan looked him in the eye and said, David, you're the man. You're the man. You're the one that had plenty. You're the one that, that had more than enough. You're the man that took from this poor guy, Uriah, all that he had, David, you're the man. And God used Nathan and David's life where Nathan was willing to risk their friendship because he loved him enough that he was willing to tell him the truth. And what happens on the other side of him having that kind of friend is David, if you wanna write down, uh, wrote Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is David's response to a year of on the run from God. And because a friend loved him enough to tell him the truth, David came clean and said, God, I've sinned in your sight. God, would you wash me so that I could be clean? Would you cleanse me that I could be whiter than snow? In Psalm 51, he says, God, would you restore the joy that's been missing from my life. David experienced some of the best of his life on the other side of a friend telling him the truth. Do you have a friend like that? Do you have a friend? Because I believe the thing that may be missing is not something. It could be someone. Someone that helps you get better. Someone that helps you find strength. And someone that loves you enough that they are willing to tell you the truth. And so I wanna invite you. I wanna invite you this semester, intentionally go after those friendships. What I found in my own life is the older we get, the harder friendships become. It doesn't, it's not gonna happen by accident. It takes intentional work, investment to say, I wanna have those friends in my life. It's sort of like my grandmother told me when I was a little kid. She said, if you wanna have those kind of friends, you have to what? You have to be that kind of friend. 
Someone that helps others get better, somebody that helps others find strength, somebody that loves others that you're willing to tell the truth. And I wanna tell you that one of the easiest ways to do this is through a small group. And so today, if you didn't get one on the way in, I'm gonna ask you to go by the table in the lobby on your way out, grab a group's brochure. There's two sort of action points today. One is maybe you need to join an existing group that we have in this brochure. There's 20 something, 30 something groups listed in here. There's stuff for men, there's stuff for women, there's stuff for couples, there's, there's Bible study groups, there's activity groups. We've even got a group of men that meet at like 5.30 a.m. on a Friday to work out and then talk about faith. Come on, that's crazy, right? We've got something a little bit for everybody. So maybe for you, it's to take this brochure and to jump on the app and to sign up for one of these existing groups. I wanna challenge you though, don't look for the perfect one. Sometimes we want the perfect one. And I'm gonna tell you, I told some friends earlier today that when I was 18, 19 years old, I was thrown into some older adult groups in my home church. And it felt weird that first week, but some of those people became lifelong friends. And so if you're trying to find the one that is your exact demographic, I was looking through this today and I didn't find the one for a 42 year old pastor. So that, there's not one for every demographic. So find one that aligns with what God's doing. So that's, that's encouragement number one. The second action step is maybe God's asking you to be like Tyler and Kelsey, who three years ago just realized they were not in a small group and they started connecting with uh, some friends online through Facebook Marketplace. And they're like, oh, I recognize you. You, you get a sugar, I get a sugar. And they started this group and invited neighbors in and then invited some outlaws like the McGraws in. And so maybe, maybe what God's asking you to do is to be willing to go out on a limb and to say, hey, maybe there's some people at work that twice a month over lunch, we could talk about spiritual things that matter. Or maybe it's in your neighborhood. There's three or four people or three or four couples that you could invite over a couple of times a month to say, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna worship together at Sugar Hill. And then during the week, we're gonna talk about the message and we're gonna apply it to our lives. And so I wanna encourage you, whatever that next step is, don't miss this opportunity to experience some relationships that could change your life forever. Would you stand with me as we begin to pray? On your way out today, if you haven't gotten one of these brochures, I wanna invite you to grab it. Uh, if you are currently part of a small group or you're saying, I'm gonna be in a small group this semester, we've got a few dozen shirts that say life is better together. They're absolutely free for anybody that is already in a group or is going to commit to jump into a group this semester. They're at the group's table today, first come, first serve. We don't have a lot of them, but I'd love for you to be able to take one home with you and just that reminder today. But I wanna pray for us before we head out today. If you have any questions about groups, please stop by the table uh, in the lobby. If you are interested in finding out more about starting your own group in your neighborhood or in your workplace, uh, stop by the table as well. We'll grab your name and number and connect with you this week and tell you how easy it could be and how God could use you. I'm standing here today a better husband, a better pastor and a better friend because of my small group. I'm thankful for Tyler and Kelsey for their investment in my life and our life. I don't want you to miss this semester that God could do that in your life. Cool? Let me pray for us. As we pray today, if you're watching online, I invite you to pray with us. If you're driving, keep your eyes open. It's okay. Some people have been asking about what's going on around the world and our prayer team on Wednesday nights have been praying for 
uh, both in the Middle East, but also here and just south of us in Haiti. And so I wanna encourage you to pray for what's going on in the world. And some people have asked about Haiti. We do have partners on the ground in Haiti that are doing great work and network of pastors and churches. And so if you're looking for a place to give that would help get food and water and tents and shelter and school supplies, you can head to the Sugar Hill Church app and everything you give through the button that says Haiti will go directly to our partners on the ground making a difference. But Heavenly Father, thank you for an amazing morning together that we could celebrate you and worship you. God, I pray for all of my friends here in the room and online and even on the replays that you would put these kind of friends in their life. God, help all of us to be introspective enough to ask who we could put in each of those categories. And if we don't have somebody, God, would you help us to make space this semester to have intentional friendships that could change our life. Father, we know that all life change starts with a relationship with you. So I pray for anybody that doesn't know you, that they would accept your free gift and they would walk with you. Lord, we give this day to you. We give this week to you. Thank you for relationships that make us better. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen, amen. We love you guys. Have a great rest of your Sunday. The tables are out in the lobby. I'm gonna make my way in the lobby as well. If you haven't met any of our pastors, we'd love to say a quick hello, but we love you guys. Can't wait to see you soon.